God, uh, I pray for all of us here this morning, Lord, that we would know that we have a spirit of, of power and discipline, God, not a spirit of fear, Lord. I pray that we would know your promise, Lord, that we are your children, God, that we have the Holy Spirit inside of us, God, the same, the same power that rose Jesus from the dead is living in us, God, and that allows us to choose you over our flesh, Lord. I pray that we would live for you and, and learn to be more obedient every day. I pray for the message, God, and that we would uh, be open to what you have for us, Lord. Would you teach us this morning? Thank you for your son, and thank you for this church, and it's in your name I pray. Amen. Amen. Would you give the team a hand for a wonderful job this morning? Well, good morning. Oh, come on. We're going to eat in an hour. You got energy? Good morning. All right, that was much better. The sermon just dropped from an hour to 45 minutes because of your enthusiasm. We welcome you and those of you who are watching, listening online, thank you so much for joining us today and being here with us at First Ruston. How many of you were here last week? Well, if you were here, you remember I talked about anxiety and afraid of infection. Well, I got an infection this week and I I had to go by quick care on the way to church this morning and they had to amputate part of my arm, but the great news, <laughs> I think I made some people mad in one of the services today, but that is a joke, so don't you love it? This week, someone dropped by the office and, and it was anonymous and left a hook for the pastor. So I love Mercedes too, if you're just dropping off things, uh, you, you know, Josh, here, this case, this, if I left this here, nobody would pay any attention to me. But I want that back. That's my hook. You're not yours, by the way. We need a little levity because we're going to get into a pretty serious subject quickly. Naomi Judd is probably a name many of you know. She is very famous. Her and her daughter Winona, country music singers, had 14 number one hits. And on May the 1st, they were... Uh, inducted into the Country Music Hall of Fame, which has to be a great, great honor. She's very wealthy, famous, and rich. But one day before she was inducted, on April the 30th, she killed herself, committed suicide. Wow. In America, these are the latest stats from the CDC. 45,979 of us in 2020 killed themselves. That plays out to about 130 a day, a little over five an hour. So in the next hour, five people in America on average will kill themselves. We're in 1 Kings 19, if you have a Bible, 1 Kings 19. And we're in the third part of a sermon series called Navigating Our Crazy World. We're going to be in this sermon series for about the next four or five weeks. But we're talking about suicide this morning, 1 Kings 19. And I, and I want to say this to you. Uh, you may be at a point this morning, somebody is, somebody watching, someone here, is at a point where they, they're ready for life to be over. Man, you need to hear what God wants to say to you this morning. It's easy to be here this morning and go, man, my life is great. This doesn't apply to me at all. Your life six months from now, you may desperately need this. You may desperately need this. But all of us know somebody, a family member or a friend, either at this point in their life or, or in the future that's going to need to hear 
the words, hopefully, that God will speak through me to you this morning. Let's begin with this. What, what can lead to suicidal thinking? What, what can cause a person to want to take their lives? Just again, a couple more stats to remind you of this. From 2000, excuse me, 1999 to 2017, that time period in America, suicide rates went up 33%. 33%. Young people 18 to 24, starting in the coronavirus era, suicidal thoughts went up 25%. Patrick Sexton, a member of our church, shared with me a book this last week called The Coddling of the American Mind. Very interesting book. And he talks, in this book, one of the things he talks about is the I generation, the internet generation, also called Generation Z. It's young people born from 1995 on, which would be those sitting in front of me, a lot of them. They have a higher rate of anxiety, higher rate of depression, and a higher rate of suicide than the millennial generation, the ones right before them. So it's very relevant topic, very important topic. In chapter 19, verse 1 through 4, Ahab, who was a weak king, he was the king, told Jezebel, who was the original battle axe wife, by the way, all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. And Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, now she, this is, she's making like a, a curse, like this is a curse. So may the gods do to me and more so also if I don't make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. Her threats were not idle. She meant what she was saying. Then he was afraid, Elijah, the great prophet of God, and he arose and he ran for his life and he came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and he left his servant there. In verse 4, but he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree, and he asked that he might die, saying, God, it's enough. Take my life. I'm no better than my father's. I called a friend several weeks ago, really good Bible scholar, and I asked him, I said, do you feel like this is an appropriate passage on suicide? He said, yes. He goes, if a person is praying, God, thank you for, you know, my food. Thank you for this. By the way, good night. God, kill me. Amen. That person had suicidal heart and intent. And, and thank God Elijah didn't have some easy means to make that happen. But this great prophet is there. Why, why, why do people get there? Whether well, it's biological issues, there's genetical issues, there will be problems in your brain. But I want to give you some things from the story that can also be so relevant to you and me. Here's the first thing. Sometimes these thoughts come after a huge shift of events. After really highs and, and then really lows. Things being crazy kind of in our world. Read this when you get home. Chapter 18 is one of the great victory, God victory chapters of the Bible. And Elijah is the hero of the story. Here's what happened. Israel, the country of Israel is terrible. And they've had a drought for three and a half, half years. Which by the way, Elijah kind of prayed that drought into existence. And so King Ahab and Jezebel don't like Elijah. And Elijah knows that they're corrupt too. So they're going to they're gonna have a, 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 a one-on-one. They're going UFC on each other at Mount Carmel. Mount Carmel's near the Mediterranean Sea. So they show up. It's Elijah against 850 of the bad guy prophets. 450 prophets of Baal, 400 prophets of Asherah. Asherah is kind of the female uh, goddess to Baal, the male goddess. And, and they are the goddess and the god of fertility, of life. The goddess, you know, fake god that you'd go to if you wanted rain. And so they have a challenge. They, they, the fake god guys 
the 850, they build an altar, they put a sacrifice on it, and then they're calling on their gods to bring fire down there to consume the altar, consume the sacrifice. And they start doing it, and it goes on for hours. And listen, trash talking did not start in the NBA or the NFL. It started with Elijah on Mount Carmel. He starts giving it to him. Hey, shout louder, maybe your God's in the bathroom. Shout louder, maybe your God's asleep. Nothing happens. Finally, Elijah gets up there. He builds an altar, sacrifice, pours water. Water's rare. All over it, he prays. The real God sends lightning down. Boom! Consumes it, and they kill the 850 prophets. Now, here's what some people say. Oh, man, the God in the Old Testament is different from the God in the New Testament. And why would he kill those people? These 850 prophets were pedophiles. They were sexual perverts. They were evil. Part of their worship they would sacrifice children to their gods in the fire. That's not good for young people, especially you get down to kids' worship and stuff like that. That is really bad. This was capital punishment done justly on people. Tremendous event. And then right after that, right after that, he runs 17 miles. Elijah does to Jezreel. That's where Ahab and, and uh, Jezebel's capital is their palace he beats the chariot of Ahab there supernaturally obviously and then Jezebel makes her threat man he was up here now he's got in mafia terms a hit put on him and he is in trouble man he is running for his life I mentioned last week a book by Dr. Archibald Hart Adrenaline and Stress a great book and Dr. Hart talks about adrenaline dump it's when a ball game uh, even you win a ball game after preachers preach after musicians have concerts after performances great events you're up here and you naturally your body you have an adrenaline dump so you have a low that's why sometimes we postpartum depression after a baby or after a great event when there's some things that go on in your body that some of that's natural it can go to extremes and, and but if you're not careful in that low especially if bad things happen in that low you go down 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 I just want to encourage you watching up and watching yourself after great events especially after something big happens if something really bad happens that can that can lead to thinking the wrong things here's the second thing exhaustion just exhaustion being emotionally physically and spiritually exhausted Elijah had a great win now he's got somebody wanting to kill him in a span of a few days, listen to this, he ran 17 miles to Jezreel. Then he starts running for his life and he runs 90 miles to get away from Jezreel. Then he runs 15 more miles into the desert. And listen to what God says to him through an angel in verse 7. And the angel of the Lord came again a second time and he touched him and he said, Arise and eat for the journey is too great for you. We are an exhausted society. And folks, you need to trust me. I think trust the Bible. When you are emotionally and physically and spiritually exhausted, you are putting yourself in a bad position. I believe suicide is ultimately one of Satan's greatest tools. And you better believe when you're tired, he'll get in your head and start whispering things to you that you don't need to hear. The Native Americans had an old saying, an old proverb, about their bows and they used wooden bows they hunted with them they defended themselves with them it's a big part of their life they said the bow that is always bent will eventually snap I want to tell you the person who's always bent will eventually snap and when you are emotionally and physically and spiritually exhausted 
That's when sometimes the devil will start getting in your head and say, this is not worth it. Life's not worth it. Here's the third thing, just loneliness. Just being alone or feeling alone. In verse 3, he was afraid. He arose. He ran for his life. He came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and he left his servant there. Listen, Elijah, like all of us, needed alone time. He needed time to pray and to, to, to read his Bible and to talk to God. But man, he, he needed to be with people. And one of the things that happens when you start getting depressed a lot of times is you don't want to be around anybody. You shut yourself off. You make all kinds of excuses why you won't go somewhere. And sometimes when you're anxious and, and, and you, you, you just got to get up and you got to push yourself through it because when you're lonely, man, that's a bad spot to be in. Robin Williams was a great actor, a great comedian, very famous, obviously very wealthy. He killed himself. Robin Williams said one time, something I've never forgotten, he said, sometimes the loneliest place to be is to be in the middle of a group of people who don't care if you're there or not. Wow. Loneliness. Loneliness. Here's number four. Not being in the right place with God. Not being in the right place with God. This is easy to miss. Look in verse 19, in chapter 19, verse 8 and 9. And he arose and he ate and he drank. And he went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the Mount of God. Now, before we go to verse 9, Mount Horeb is synonymous with Mount Sinai. Mount Sinai is where Moses got the what from God? What? Ten Commandments. Who said that? That was awesome. Way to go, Mr. Breeding. That was great. The Ten Commandments. So the Jewish people consider Jerusalem and the temple and maybe Mount Sinai, Mount Horeb, is one of their holiest places. So he goes there. But look in verse 9. Then he came into a cave and lodged in it. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He was physically as well as spiritually away from God. And folks, I'm telling you, I know this is true. If you're, especially you're a Christian and the Holy Spirit lives in you, get away from God. Quit coming to church. Quit reading your Bible. Quit praying. Start doing things you shouldn't be. You will be so miserable and the devil will get on your shoulder and tell you what a loser you are, how you displease God, and your life is not valuable. I was just a pup in the late 1960s, so I don't remember any of this, but I, I can read. And in the 1960s, America took a shift. It went from crew cuts and, and penny loafers to hair down to your waist and tie-dyes. And I wish I could hair, have hair down to my waist. If I could, I would, and I'd flip some of it over here so I'd have bangs again. I long for, I'm going to have bangs in heaven where I can actually see them. You remember that, Josh, when we could do that years ago? And I just completely lost my train of thought, but I, I would like bangs again. But the 60s, the 60s was kind of the get high, drop out, and tune out. Free sex, sex with anybody, doesn't matter if you're married, just sex, drugs, rock and roll. And I'm not against rock and roll, and sex is great in marriage. But that wasn't what they were talking about. Time Magazine had a big front page article, God, Is God Dead? And from 1960 to 1990, the suicide rate in America jumped three times three times what it was there's a correlation there you leave God out of your life you're opening yourself up for trouble here's the fifth thing irrational thinking irrational thinking in verse 10 he says I've been very jealous for the Lord he's talking to God the God of hosts for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant these people 
thrown down your altars. They've killed your prophets with a sword. And God, I, even I only, can you hear this? Am left. I'm the only one that loves you. Now they want to kill me. God's going to disprove that later. You and I get in trouble when we start going irrational. And we start saying things like, I'm the only one that cares. I, nobody cares about me. There's not a way out. There's no hope. We start talking in extremes. Nobody loves me. All those things are not true. But all those things will lead you down a bad road. And sometimes it'll lead you to want to end your life. And the last thing is just to lose hope. A deep loss of hope. Dr. Martin Siegelman is a prolific writer, psychologist. He was a professor for years at the University of Pennsylvania, still may be. He said the number one predictor of suicide is this. It's depression, which leads to a deep loss of hope. People get depressed, and then they see no way out of it. They get depressed, and they see no hope at all. In this last March, in Palo Alto, California, 22-year-old girl, pretty. She was going to Stanford, fixing to graduate, close to graduation. Stanford is an academically elite college. She was a Division I soccer player, a good athlete. She killed herself. I saw a picture, a picture of the interview with her parents, and just the picture would rip your heart out, how devastated they were. And they said, we have no idea why she would have done this. They said, and then they went back and said, well, maybe two things. The academic pressure of an elite university was too much for her. And something had happened on campus and she had actually defended some people or a person over a situation and she was facing disciplinary action and they thought maybe that played into it. I want to tell you something today. Mom and dad, you can call Josh tomorrow and be mad at him for what I'm fixing to say. You know what? Flunking out of school is not fatal. Making a bad grade is not fatal. Getting in trouble at school is not fatal. Can I give you some examples? I've been arrested. I've worked 40 hours free labor for the state of Tennessee. I've been on probation. I've been kicked out of a college. All before I knew Jesus. Let me throw that in there. <laughs> but you know what? Dadgummit. Those weren't fatal, were they? And it's not fatal because school's going, not going the way you want it to. It's not fatal when you get in trouble. Doesn't have to be. A loss of hope. Let's answer this quickly. Suicide's never the right option. It's never the right option. In fact, I would tell you today, if you're married, take divorce off the table. If you're, if you're married today, take suicide off the table. Never let it be an option. Let me give you two reasons. One, it's self-murder. It's self-murder. Now, what, is, what does that mean? What, is, what does that mean? In Exodus 20, verse 13, listen to what it says. Exodus 20, 13. It says, you shall not murder. That's one of the Ten Commandments. Some translation says, thou shall not kill. That's not really correct. There could be a time when you would have to kill somebody. Maybe you're in the military or, or you come home and someone's hurting your wife, your kids, your family, and you have no choice but, but to protect them. You have to take a life. It's not what you want. But, but that, that's not mur murder. is willfully just killing somebody you shouldn't kill. But you don't have the right or the reason to kill. 
Well, doesn't that mean you'll go to hell if you murder somebody? It says, in, it says in Revelation 21, the murderer will go to hell. Do you know it also says the liar will go to hell too? How many of you ever lied? Russ Golden, raise your hand, please. <laughs> let, let, me give you, let me give you a thought. You just, half of you just lied then. Are you smelling the smoke? But that's not saying someone who's lied or that's even murdered is automatically going to hell. That's saying if you're unrepented, that's just who you are, just a liar, a murderer. Moses was a murderer. King David was a murderer. The apostle Paul was a murderer. And all three of those guys are in heaven. But why I'm saying that is because you don't have the right to take your life. Now, some people, now this is really, really important too. Do you automatically go to hell if you murder somebody? Well, I just answered that. No, what about yourself? There are churches, religious groups that teach that. If you commit suicide, you're going to hell automatically. Let me tell you, this is really important. That is completely false. There is zero biblical teaching on that. Did you follow me? Nothing in the Bible that says that. Nothing in the Bible that says that at all. Folks, the Bible says you're going to heaven or hell based on a relationship with Jesus Christ, not on how you die. Now, I don't want to stand before God and have to tell him why I chose to take my life. I chose to kill myself. But if you're taking notes, write Romans 8, verse 38 and 39 down. Very important. It says, for I'm convinced neither death nor life nor angels nor demons nor height nor depth nor any other thing in creation can separate me from the love of God. You don't take your own life because it is self-murder, but it is not eternally what sends a person to heaven or hell. That's based on Jesus. But here's the second thing. It's a permanent solution to temporary problems. You really need to hear this. Folks, when you die, that's it. They're not going to have a seance and bring you back. When I was in graduate school, one of our psychology professors said this. He said, here's what happens. It happens with young people. Probably happens with not so young people. We think, you know, Tuesday life's overwhelming. And so I'm going to take my life. And then on Friday, they're going to have a real big funeral, and I'm going to get to go to it and see how sad everybody is. And then Monday, I'll be back at school. I'll be back at work, and everything will be great. That's not true. When you die, that's it. And no matter what your problems are, and I would never downplay your problems for anything, but I'm telling you, your problems can be overcome with Jesus Christ. It's a permanent solution to temporary problems. So here's, here's the third thing. What do we do? What's the solutions? I want to give you a couple of things. Number one, take care of yourself. Take care of yourself physically, emotionally, and spiritually. This guy had just run 122 miles. and Great win, tough loss. Look what God tells him to do in verse 5 through 7. And he lay down and he slept under a broom tree. And behold, an angel of the Lord touched him and said, Arise and eat. And he looked and behold, and I'm going to use our terms, there was some Pop-Tarts and some chocolate milk there. And he ate and drank and he lay down. And the angel of the Lord came to him a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat for the journey is too great for you. Don't you love this? God did not wake him up and say, You need to memorize the book of Psalms. You need to sing at least four hours of praise songs. I'm for doing both of those. But you know what God said? Man, you are emotionally, physically worn out. You need to eat. You need to rest. 
You need to get your physical health back. Listen, when you're feeling thoughts about wanting to die, or you know somebody it is, get them to your doctor and get them to a counselor. We have on our staff a licensed professional counselor who's bound by the Bible. Find you a counselor that can help you. Take care of yourself. Here's the second thing. Get up and get moving. Get up and get moving. We'll unpack this more in a moment. In verse 15, it says, And the Lord said to him, Go, return on your way to the wilderness to Damascus. Listen, when he, when he got back his health, God immediately got him up. You hear this all the time. You need to exercise. You need to get out. A lot of times when you're depressed, you want to turn the lights out, watch TV, and eat Cheetos all day, right? And I'm pro-Cheeto. But that's not going to help you get better. Listen to this. This comes from that book I mentioned earlier. This is so good. Two activities. I've mentioned this three weeks in a row. Maybe we need to hear it. Are significantly related with depression and other suicide-related outcomes. Watching too much TV and too much time on social media and technology. Mom and dads, we're hearing this? No, we're not because we're on it too, right? I don't know how much time my kid's on the phone because I'm doing it all the time. They don't say get off of it, but they say two hours max. Two hours max TV and social media. Two hours max technology. It's not work-related. More than that, you increase your rate for depression and suicidal thoughts. Now, here's the flip side of this. This is great. They say five activities, if you will major in these over the others, will help you with your depression and suicidal thoughts. Exercise. Sports, go together. Attending religious service, reading books. Oh, I like to read. Get over it. <laughs> Ask God to help you to want to read. Start reading. Social interactions. Don't lay down and play games with fake people all day. Get out and interact with people. Why well, I'm too nervous to do that. Take a Xanax and get out and interact with people. <laughs> <laughs> Unless you're going to hate this and doing homework. Isn't that terrible? I don't think, throw the last one out, but get up and get going. Here's the third thing. Start serving God and people again. Well, I'm an atheist. Okay, start serving somebody. Carl Jung was a great psychologist. Carl Jung said, the first thing he tells a depressed person to do is get up and walk across the street and help somebody. In verse 15 through 17, it says, And the Lord said to Elijah, Go return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, you shall anoint Hazel to be king over Syria. And Jehu, the son of Nimsha, shall, you shall anoint to be king over Israel. And Elijah, the son of Shaphat, what a name, Mr. Fat, of Abel-Melo, you shall anoint him to be a prophet in your place. Verse 17 goes on and says, you, they're going to take care of the issues. They're going to straighten things out. Everything Elijah was concerned about, here's what God did. After he got him rested, he got him fed, he got him back up. He said, buddy, get back in the game. Some of you are going, well, I used to serve God. Serve God until you die. Serve him until you get to heaven. Get back in the game. And you don't always have to be the leader. Well, I want to be in charge. The greatest sign you don't need to be in charge is that you tell people you want to be in charge. Hey, be so good you rise to the top and they put you in charge. Grab a broom. Just help. Man, get, start serving God and people. That's one thing God did to Elijah is he got him back up and he got him back in the game. Get back in the game. And the last thing is cling to Jesus and hope. Cling 
to Jesus and hope. Dr. Tyler Vanderwill is an epidemiologist, guy who studies public health concerns at Harvard. Listen to what he said. He spent a decade researching regular church attendance. First among medical workers who attended religious services, especially Christian churches, 29% less likely to become depressed, 50% less likely to become divorced, and five times less likely to commit suicide than those who never attended. Talking about young people, young people who grew up in church do much better with the three biggies, depression, substance abuse, premarital sex. Doesn't mean they're perfect, but they do better. People who attended church as a child also more likely to grow up happy, to be forgiving, have a sense of mission and purpose. And regular church attenders also have far fewer deaths of despair by suicide. Man, I want to encourage you today. I want to encourage you today. You're depressed, you're sad, you're suicidal, or you are in the future. Man, don't quit. God's got a plan for you. I want to show you something cool. In, in chapter 19, verse 18, just kind of an afterthought, kind of a kidney shot from God to Elijah right at the end. Hey, you thought you're the only one? Look, I, I've, I've, there's 7,000. I think there's 7,000 other prophets in Israel who've not bowed their knee or, or done wrong. You think you're the only one? You're not. God, God's got, there's a lot of people still serving God. There's people who still love you. There's still hope. Can you hear me? There's still hope for you. Jeremiah 29, 11. Jeremiah 29, 11, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for hope and a future, plans to give you good, not evil, for prosperity, not harm. And I'm paraphrasing some of that. Listen, when that was given to the Jewish people, they were in captivity. They were basically prisoners. And God wasn't telling them everything's going to turn overnight. He was telling them it's tough, but you hang tough. I got plans for you. And it may be tough right now, but I want to tell you, you hold on to Jesus and you hold on to hope because the sun will come back up. The sun will come back up. So this morning, if you're not a Christian, what I want to encourage you to do is give your life to Christ. I want to plead with you to do that. You're watching online or you're here, you stay with me. In a moment, I will lead you in a prayer where you can, you can give your life to Christ. You can come right now to the altar and we'll help you. We'll talk to you after church. Today's your day. That's the foundation. Maybe you're ready to join our church. We would love for you to. You can do that online or after church or you can come right now and join us. You need a church and we need you. Join us if God's leading you to. And you're a Christian. Maybe you're broken right now. Maybe you want to come pray with a minister, pray at the altar, or get on your knees at home and pray. Maybe you want to come pray for somebody else. Maybe, Christian, it's time to come back home to Jesus. Let's stand. As God leads you, you respond to him. Burns brighter than the sun, he stills the night, casts no shadow, there is hope. The ocean rise and mountains fall, he never fails. So take heart. 
with me as Justin continues to play. Christian, I hold on to hope. Come back to Jesus, grab a hold of him and don't let go. If you're not a Christian and you're unsure but you're ready today to cross that line with Jesus, pray with me and just say, Jesus, I'm a sinner and I want to repent of my sin. And Jesus, I, I believe, I accept that you're God's son and that you died on the cross for my sins and arose to conquer death. Come into my heart, Jesus. And I surrender to you. I surrender my life to you, Jesus. Your promise still stands 
Great is your faithfulness, faithfulness. I'm still in your hands. This is my comfort. 